Hello, everyone, and welcome to Optimal Bios Podcast. In the studio with us today, someone we'd like to introduce you to, Dr. Hamid Bakhtiar, and of course, Dr. Greg Brannon. And I think today you're going to really enjoy this podcast because you're going to learn something I think you are completely unaware of. And Dr. Hamid, let's start with you. Could you give us just a little background and tell us a little bit about what you do? Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today and hanging out with um, such a group of smart, intelligent professionals. My name is Hamid Bakhtiar. I own and operate Carolina Compounding Pharmacy right here in Cary, North Carolina. I opened Carolina Compounding back in 2005, and um, I am proud to be there playing a role in helping taking care of the needs of our patients, one patient at a time. Well, the first question is, I think is obvious because I do not know what a compound pharmacy is. What is it? Sure, absolutely. A compounding pharmacy by definition is a facility where two or more um, materials, say actives or an active and inactive material get combined to prepare a medication for a patient in accordance with their doctor's instructions. Well, Dr. Greg Brannon, is this as good as a regular pharmacy? It has to be even better if you're involved in this, to be honest with you. I'm big on individualized. Everything's individualized. And compound pharmacy goes right down that path. Because when we evaluate a patient base and we look at their symptoms and we look for individualized hormones, how they could optimize their functions at the cellular level. Compound pharmacy goes right to that. And what happens is, is you know the exact ingredients going, you know the percentages going in, you know the active component, and then a lot, here's the big thing, no fake dyes. I'll give you an example, red dye number three, red dye number 40 are, are xenoestrogens. I mean, they block natural estrogens, which is the, the problem that we have with low testosterone. So again, it's very specific and very individualized. So Dr. Hamid, why did you go into this direction and what makes it so different? Yes, what makes it different is the um, individualized medicine, that individualized attention giving to every patient, as Dr. Greg mentioned. When we look at a regular pharmacy, there are medications on the shelf that are made for the, for the mass, for the public. The difference here is uh, we can fine tune and hone the medication to help meet the needs of that individual patient. Well, Dr. Pratt, could you give me an example of maybe how you would utilize this? Well, the overall principle, one size does not fit all, period. Right. Well, that's true. You're okay. all about it being an individual, treating an individual. And you look at um, the synthetic hormones, they're, they're one or two doses for everybody. Five foot tall, five foot 11, doesn't matter. Let alone the things you don't know in there. And there have been many papers showing some medications or, or hormones that I'm using that looked at outside laboratories that they're not 100% of what they said it was inside there. They're, they vary from 0% to 70%. So the thing for me with compound pharmacy, again, it just ties together, what I'm looking at is the cellular level, the physiological level, the correct key for the correct lock. And, and what I really want people to focus on, this key and lock does not turn one thing on. It turns down hundreds. Example, magnesium has 300 enzymatic functions it works on. That's magnesium alone, 300. Zinc has over 100. Vitamin D accepts, uh, affects over 3,000 genomes. So that's why it's really important to understand that it's an array that turns and the body that knows what to do if it has the right, again, bioidentical and compound is atom for atom, 3D structure for 3D structure, exactly what our body makes. I mean, this is something that you would think every individual would want. Do you take insurance, doctor? 
We do. So we are we have contracts with uh, most major insurance companies across the country. For example, the Blue Cross Blue Shields, United Healthcare, Cigna's, Aetna's of the world. However, I think it's important to point out that um, when a when an individual purchases their prescription insurance plans and they write a check to Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example, every month. The actual um, processing company that does process their prescription benefits may not be Blue Cross Blue Shields because these things are often farmed out to third-party companies and a person may not even know who they are. Um, whether or not we have contracts with every single one of these companies, it's something that we can determine at the point when the prescription is presented. Also, it is, I think, important to point out that although we do accept and process insurance plans, but not every insurance company is going to cover compounds, which sounds like an oxymoron. Why wouldn't you want to pay or cover the medication that's individualized to help meet the needs of the person you're covering? I know the answer to that question, but unfortunately, I cannot determine that. It is only the insurance companies that determine whether A, there's coverage, and B, what the copay is if there's uh, May I ask where you get your ingredients? Oh, absolutely. That's an excellent question. There are about six major companies across the country that we uh, purchase ingredients from. Now, because of everything that's happened in the economy, it's been probably better than a decade that the actual ingredients that us, compounding pharmacies, and pharmaceutical companies make are not made in this country anymore. They're made overseas. However, they're made in facilities where they are FDA registered and FDA inspected, meaning when a prescription is, is compounded or one that's available on the shelf at any retail establishment, those are pure medications, meaning that the United States Pharmacopeia, meaning they have met the criteria set forth by the United States Pharmacopeia that says the amount of purity should be between this number and that number and should meet these. So we get our our raw active ingredients and raw inactive ingredients. Every single lot that we get does come in with a certificate of analysis. And often we send them additionally to an outside laboratory to be tested before we use them. And we also do test our finished products as well. I want to jump into that because we hear uh, at Optimal Bio, we do bioidentical pellets and, you know, some people complain it's it's not FDA approved. And that to me is completely inaccurate. First off is, as he just talked about, every single component, if it goes to a major pharmaceutical company or to Carolina, a compound, when it gets there, it is certified by USP and FDA before it's even placed. Okay, that's crucially important. Now, so you have the, the ingredients are USP and FDA approved. Now here's the little the little kicker. You cannot, a pharmaceutical company or anybody cannot actually patent an organic molecule. So therefore there's no dollars involved if it's an organic or natural molecule. They have to do other things to it to make it synthetic. And the problem with the synthetic now is how your body responds to it. I'm gonna give an example. Progesterone, uh, a hormone our body makes naturally. It, it's half-life's around 20 minutes turns on the mechanism, turns away and goes away. Well, the synthetic one, half-life is 50 days and blocks receptors. So therefore, it's really important to understand that atom for atom is crucial. And therefore, if they wanna say it's not pure, that's baloney because they come from the same six places around the world, USP and FDA approved. Have you seen your clientele grow? 
it would seem to me that this would be very, very popular. Yes, it is. And actually, um, if you like, I can even shed some light back on how old compounding is. Please. I was doing a um, preparing a presentation a little over 15 years ago, my first ever presentation in, in compounding pharmacy. And I was surprised to find that uh, there was a, uh, more than one biblical reference in Book of Exodus, I believe it was chapter 30, verse 23. It provides a very detailed and clear instruction on, on how to make a compound using myrrh and other things. So it, it got me thinking that this is really not new. And I, I researched more and actually going back to the age of the pharaohs of Egypt, Sinohe. Sinohe was one of their famous physicians. There are two books by him, oh, the only two I know of by him. And in there, he describes the disease states. He describes, he tries to describe pathology, and he also describes the treatment. And the treatment is using uh, mortar, pestle, herbs, you know, uh, barks, leaves, that sort of thing. So this thing has been around, I think, for as long as human beings have been around, not in modern terms. Now, in modern terms, we, of course, don't use things in the same method. We use, you know, extremely purified materials, USB grade. We use the latest in equipment and in technology to make sure that our final product not only meets but often exceeds the criteria set forth at the end of the day there's a patient who's going to use this product somewhere somehow we want to make sure they get the cleanest and most effective most appropriate form of medication prior to 1960 compound pharmacies were everywhere i mean it's where you got your medicine what happened what changed I think the advent of new medication started by uh, by um, penicillin in, during the Second World War, and then the mass production of penicillin and medications that came after by in, by pharmaceutical companies is what really set off this change. And when they they figured that they could uh, produce a whole lot of medication during one medication run and have only a handful of strengths available. So that is a very cost-effective form. And by just looking at that, we know that it's going to leave a lot of people out of the realm of therapy because we're not all made the same. We have different metabolic ways. Um, For example, children are not only small adults, so the dosage has to be different. We have different metabolic pathways, different ways of detoxification, uh, of things. As those companies started to put out more research and more medication, compounding pharmacy went by the wayside. However, compounding pharmacy has been the origin of pharmacy since the beginning of time, as far as we can go back and we can find evidence for it. But now it's making a resurgence because of the renewed interest in individualized therapy and in individualized care. Why the resurgence? I think we, we should thank women in this country for that. I always thank women. Yes, always. <laughs> Smart man. Because women are the driving force of healthcare in this, uh, in at least our patient population. And it is them who do most of the research within a regular family setting and the ones that push that uh, that push the drive for, for new therapies. I think that uh, once people realized that one size does not fit all, all. They got concerned with either underdosing or overdosing using commercially available medications. They realized there might be another option. Um, I want to point out and be clear that what I'm saying is not 
against commercially available medications by far they do have their place in therapy as well compounding is a niche where it caters to that individual person whether they have an allergy whether the dose does not uh, uh, is not appropriate for them or whether they just can't take that form of medicine it fill, it fulfills a niche that's always been there and it's always going to be there for as long as we have people who get sick is there anything you can't make yes in in our facility we do not make for example chemotherapy medications because that's a whole set of different criteria equipment we do not make injectables now there are other companies across the country that do specialize in that in our facilities we are focused on making oral forms topical forms suppository forms and and those forms of things all right for the um, if you look at forward what do you see for compound pharmacies? I think the future of compounding pharmacy is going to be bright. This is not a clear and unchallenging path. There are many challenges thrown at the world of compounding because there are certain bodies that absolutely do not like compounding. And they uh, pass certain regulations that sometimes it makes one wonder if they're really to protect the public or they pursue other means. And whatever they cannot accomplish by just passing in terms of regulations, they add on additional costs to the act of compounding because at the end of the day, there's only so much that you can charge a patient for a prescription. But I think in spite of all of that, uh, the future of compounding is bright because it is very much in line with the American psyche and American way of doing things, the same pioneering spirit that I want to do this because I think this is right for me and for my family. What do we take away from all this, gentlemen? Dr. Brannon? Medical liberty, I think, is the future. So when you ask, does it fit in the future? I do so. But the opponents of that are going to be many because it's always chasing control. Uh, regulations are not always there strictly to help the individual. And that to me is, that's why it's important to be involved, to understand where these laws come from and understand that the most competition lowers prices in everything. Competition increases quality in everything. As Dr. H talked about is, that's Americana. Let's not forget that. That's why this whole opportunity of individual healthcare in the future, preventive healthcare, I believe what we're doing optimal bio and compounding pharmacies go hand in glove. I would like to add to what Dr. Greg just mentioned. I'll give you an example. I was really surprised to find that in Europe, there's a medication that has a monograph. Monograph is one of those inserts that comes with every single prescription medication dispensed in the country and Europe and, and Japan. The monograph is for estriol or estriol. There, there's more than one way of saying it, not to be confused with estradiol. Now, Estriol is made by, surprisingly, a pharmaceutical company about 45 minutes away from where we are in Cary. So they do produce it in Europe and sell it. But that very same company has been fighting teeth and nail not to allow compounding pharmacies compound estriol saying that it hasn't been proven to be safe or effective. So the question that comes to mind is how come you're making it in Europe and you're selling it based on a monograph and physicians are prescribing but not in not on this side of the pond. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder. It does make me wonder. Sometimes we talk about it an awful lot about that. But, Doctor, what a pleasure to meet you. And it's very exciting to hear what's going on. And, ladies and gentlemen, of course, we, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, all you need to do is explore the website. There's a lot of information there. And, as always, you have an open invitation to call with any of your questions or concerns. And we'll talk to you again soon.